0: Well, the Jewish people remember how God delivered them from the Egyptians and from uh, from the Pharaoh, and they remember every year. This was I'm not exactly sure how long, but probably between four and six thousand years ago. They still remember this day and that event in their lives every year without fail, when they instructed by God to take the blood of a lamb and spread it over there and lint over the door frame so that the angel of death might, as it were, pass over their house and that those inside would be spared. And I love symbols and I love the symbolism that's in the Bible and it's just repeated time and time again. All of the, uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the stories follow the same symbols and uh, just they just celebrate. And it's, in, it's enforced over and over, yeah. the, uh, the symbolism that God has. And it, as it is with these symbols, they're very representative of the Passover. And as the Israelis or the Jewish people are thankful that God delivered them in the Passover, what, that was a one-time deal. It was just the one time God delivered them, and then the Pharaoh set them free, and they were, managed to escape Egypt. But these symbols represent not just a one-time deal, but a permanent, everlasting deal. And it's an everyday deal as well. And how much more thankful should we be for these symbols, that, that Jesus, he was the Lamb of God, in the same way that they had to sacrifice a lamb. Jesus sacrificed himself, and his blood was shed for us, that we might be spared, and we have the eternal saving. it's not just a one-time deal, it's it's every day, and it's forever, and how thankful we should be of that. So if the guys could come forward, read from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which was delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father God, I want to thank you that your plan was to use your son to save us all. Lord, I want to thank you. That you were willing to give up your son. And Jesus, I want to thank you that you were willing to come and be broken for us. That your blood was shed for us that we might have a permanent and everlasting covenant with you. And that we are saved by your grace and your love. And Lord, I just pray that as we take these emblems now, we'll be thankful of the sacrifice that you made for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
1: The place I-
2: Grace and peace to you all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Kids say some of the funniest things. Adults say some of the funniest things. I don't know if you remember when you were a kid, but I remember when uh these little interactions with your friends at school or whatever and you know when you wanted them to do something it was you can come to my birthday party. Or if they did something you didn't like, it was, you can't come to my birthday party. Meh. Nah. You know? <laughs> or or uh, like, other like, weird things that you hear adults say, like, I just heard of recently, someone, and it was at work, or was some, someone said, oh, oh I'm not going to do that because I don't want to go to hell. Or, or, uh, or, or I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to do this. And that's not even how that works. It was one of those things because you just kind of chuckle when you hear it. Like you know, you know, not doing something—it's not going to get you out of hell. Yeah, uh, you, uh, the, 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 the bad news is that, with apart from Christ, we're already headed to hell. And 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 you doing something to get out of it, or you doing something, uh, or, or not doing something to get out of it—that's not how that works. But we we say it so kind of flippantly, or think it, or whether in jest, and, just, and uh, that's just that's just not how what reality is or other things and this this will tie into the message but the other day and it, and it was specific for me but i was thinking like what if i you know uh in this scenario didn't have certain things like can you imagine have you ever left your wallet at home or and you're out somewhere you're at work and, and you're hungry and you're like man I, I don't got no money on me and i'm not about to ask somebody you know for, for money or whatever i'll just you know You know, won't even worry about it or whatever. And and then you see something or someone tells you, hey, did you hear? The Falcons won this Sunday, so if you go to Zaxby's, you'll get a free chicken sandwich. And you're like, all right, okay, so now now I can eat. And then you go and you're looking at the the coupon everything, and sure enough, it says, free Zaxby's sandwich. And then right underneath it, it says, with the purchase of fries and a drink. And you're like, Man! I don't have money. I don't have anything on me. So, uh, you know, there was the nice little advertisement of the free Zaxby sandwich. And then, you know, I'm, you know good thing I didn't go to Zaxby's, you know, because it's like, I have my free sandwich. I'm like, okay, uh, what kind uh, of drink do you want? And I was like, oh, well, I just want the sandwich. So it, it was that kind of bait and switch, right? You know, don't tell me something is for free and then ask me to pony up something to get, because then it's not free. That's wrong. You just told me wrong. And that will, yeah, that will pay in to, to the rest of the message later. Uh, the series that we're still on is the series that uh, I titled Crucified with Christ. Uh, the title for today's message is Rest in Peace. And the scripture passage we'll be reading from today is Acts chapter 15. And where we left off last time was in Acts chapter 13. We were with Paul. They preached the gospel in Antioch and they received a mixed reaction and it's funny how there's always a mixed reaction, it seems, whenever the gospel is preached. Because when the same two extremes, or same two mixed reactions are still, for the most part, are given today. Whether or not they're voiced, they're, sometimes they're stirring in here. And those mixed reactions are, the self-righteous will place qualifications on the gospel, And it's funny how the qualifications that they place in the gospel are always qualifications that they think they can keep. Have you noticed that? And they will be angry if the gospel is offered to sinners with no demand for anything in return. And then the other reaction is usually the brokenhearted, those who are already brokenhearted over their sin, and brokenhearted over not having any or believing they don't have any favor with god will be overjoyed at the good news as it hits their drums for faith comes from hearing the message and the message comes through the word of christ and for the deliverer of the good news the self-righteous will want to kill you and the brokenhearted will want to kiss you because why 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 is the self-righteous so upset because You know, they start asking questions about, you know, what about what I did? What about my offering to God? Why will God accept my brother's offering and not me and what I give to him? We've heard that many times in scriptures. And the first time we read about it was between Cain and Abel. Remember Cain? He was mad that God didn't accept his offering. Why did God accept my brother's offering? He was mad enough to kill his brother and he did. What do you mean God doesn't want my obedience to the law and living more morally than my neighbor? What do you mean that all of my years serving him is unacceptable tribute in order to receive my wage of eternal life? What do you mean he just gives it freely to scum with no strings attached? Beware, old Adam will demand and will cringe at the idea of unmerited favor and an offering of well done my good and faithful servant to the one who old Adam judges as bad and unfaithful. So, what happened in Acts 14? I kind of skipped from 13 to 15. Did y'all catch that? 14, the same thing happened to Paul and Barnabas in Antioch of Pisidia. The same thing happened to them in Iconium, which is in chapter 14. They preached the gospel. Many believed. Some who are unbelieving are angry enough to kill. So, they go to Lystra in Derby and preach the gospel there. He's a lame man. They get mistaken for Hermes and for Zeus. Some Jews from the previous towns show up and convince the crowd to stone Paul. He survives the stoning and goes to Derby with Barnabas to continue to preach the gospel. Then they make their way all the way back to where they originally were commissioned to go on this trip, the church in Antioch, and encourage, set up, and minister to the disciples on their trip back. When they arrived and gathered with the church in Antioch, they gave a report of everything God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith for the Gentiles. So what happens next? That's where we're at. Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 12. Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the law handed down by Moses, you cannot be saved. Because this brought about a serious argument and debate between Paul and Barnabas and these men, they appointed Paul and Barnabas and some other men from the church to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders concerning this controversy. After they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they described in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, and the elders, and they reported everything God had done through them. But some of the believers from the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary to circumcise the Gentiles and to command them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders gathered together to look into this matter. After there had been much discussion, Peter, oh, so Peter was there. Peter stood up and said to him, gentlemen, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you, that through my mouth the Gentiles would hear the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, testified on their behalf by giving them the Holy Spirit exactly as he gave him to us. He also showed that there is no distinction between us and them, cleansing their heart by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved in the same way they are through the grace of our Lord Jesus. The whole assembly fell silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul who reported all the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. See, the Pharisees, they banded together to make sure that no one slipped by Mount Sinai on their way to Mount Calvary. Did you catch that? Sure, you can come to Jesus, but hold on. You've got to make sure you do all this, do all that before you can come to him. The Jews and Gentiles up to this point view Jews as, the gods, as god's chosen people. The ones with the promise and the Gentiles are not chosen, not blessed, no promise from God. They just, they're just out of luck. In verse 15.1, we see a delegation from Judea tells the Antioch Gentiles, they must fulfill the Old Testament law and be circumcised in order to be saved. And then later on we read in chapter 15 that at the council that they went to in Jerusalem, Pharisees rose up and said the same thing. The problem with this is that this is directly contradicting what the gospel actually is. And if you notice what Peter said in his response back, see, when you make a law statement, you'll get a law answer back. When you ask a law question, you'll get a law answer back. That's what happened to the rich young ruler. Oh, Jesus, what must I do in order to inherit eternal life? That was a law question. So Jesus gave him a law answer. Okay, go sell everything you own and give it to the poor. Well, the rich young ruler left. See, the right response would have been, I can't do that. I'm not able to do that. I tap out. I can't fulfill that. What else you got? I'm, I'm hopeless. There is nothing apart from, there's nothing in me that I now can do to deliver on that command. What else you got? Or better yet, if that's what I've got to do to inherit eternal life, I throw myself upon the mercy of the court. Have, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's when the gospel swoops in. Is when you have no hope in yourself. And the only hope you have is Jesus Christ. That's when the gospel is to be administered. But see, Peter said, your fathers weren't even able to hold up the law. And neither are we. So why are we going to throw it on the Gentiles? It is such a big deal that this promise is being made to the Gentiles. And it is such a big deal that the Pharisees are trying to change it because they're changing the gospel altogether and bringing self-justification in a watered-down law through the back door, which is no justification, no salvation, and it's not the gospel. When Peter gave his speech, he he made it known and he confirmed what Paul and Barnabas were preaching, that the gospel is also for the Gentiles. That the Gentiles are also given and they receive the Holy Spirit in the same measure as the Jews, making no distinction. He, God, purified their hearts by faith, by faith and not the law. This is huge because for the first time ever, the Gentiles are now hearing that they have a future. Up to this point, the Jews were only God's chosen people. Now, on the account of Christ, Gentiles can be and are God's chosen people as well. Verse 10, Now then, why are you testing God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Moses' law was of little effect among the people, so why yoke the Gentiles with a requirement of law? The law here does its job to the Pharisees. The law increases and exposes sin. God did not give the law so that man would be made righteous by it. That's not what the law does. That is not why God gave the law to man. God gave the law to man to expose sin and to increase it to death, so that we would be dead and know why we could not escape death, having no hope and realizing that we do not uphold the law. Verse 11, we believe that we are saved in the same way they are, through the grace of our Lord Jesus. So, wait, we're dead? The law increases everything to death. That's the law's work. Well what does that mean? Where does the Bible does it say? What does that mean for us who are in Christ? Galatians 2:20: "I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I am now living in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My fellow Christians, we're dead. And that's good news. You are dead. It's over. Rest in peace. The law has no work to do on the Christian in that particular sense because the law comes to kill. And if you've been crucified with Christ... The law's work is done because it was done to Christ. Christ on our behalf. And it is Christ who lives in you. The life that you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the one who you were crucified with. Apart from Christ, there is only death. United to the one who died in your place, there is life. Eternal life. To nullify the grace of God is to think that you can now manage the law. If you think that you can manage the law and work righteousness for yourself, you nullify the grace of God. Have you heard that expression before, falling from grace? It's not referring to doing something, sinning something, doing something horrible when you fall from God's grace. It's thinking that you have to do something in order to obtain it or in order to keep it. You fall from grace when you look for you rather than Christ. That's what falling from grace means. All of your sin, all of my sin is with Christ. Therefore, his crucifixion is mine, his death is mine, his resurrection is mine. Maybe you're asking, how? How can this event, of the cross in the past. Where is that tangible for me now? Where is that tangible for us now? Is there anything right now that we have that can comfort us? If we are truly dead to the law, what does that mean now that does it mean now that we can go sin and do whatever we want? Romans 6 verse through, 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. We died to sin. How can we go on living in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were, here's the tangible part, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him by this baptism into his death so that just as he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too would also walk in a new life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, We will certainly also be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. We know that our old self was crucified with him to make our sinful body powerless so that we would not continue to serve sin. For the person who has died has been declared free from sin. For the person who has died has been declared free from sin. And since we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, he will never die again. Death no longer has control over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way also, consider yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Remember your baptism. You were united with Christ in the waters of baptism, united with his death. God does this as a gift of grace for you, to you. God did not send Jesus to make you good, but to make you gods. God did not send Jesus to make you good, but to make you one who belongs to God. Or as Ravi Zacharias put it, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. A few final observations. As I mentioned in the beginning, there is no take back on God's promise. This, you can come to my birthday party, you can't come to my birthday party, that's not how God's promises to us work. When he makes a promise to his children, it's final. He means it. When he makes a promise and says, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you, he means it. When he says, you will be where I, where I am, you will be one day also, he means it. When he says, we are united with him, he means it. Rest in peace. So it's easier said than done. The other night, Knox woke up in the middle of the night, and he was not at peace. But I had him in my arms. And nothing would take him out of there. I had him. Was he, he was screaming. He was still everything. But I wasn't going to drop him. I wasn't going to let anything bad happen to him. If he wanted to, he could rest in peace right there. But see, I didn't, as a father, as a loving father, I'm not going to say, okay, I'm going to put you down, and when you calm down, I'll pick you up. That's not what I did. My offering of rest to him was independent of his behavior. It was independent of what Knox could do for me. My peace for Knox was given, because he's mine. As a father, I've made a promise to him. And, as, and just being real, I've, as an earthly father, I fail all the time. I easily break promises, and I don't do what I should do. There's good news, though, that when I do mess up, when I do make mistakes, I sit my kids down, especially Kate, and I say, hey, Daddy made a mistake. Daddy needs Jesus. And guess what? I have him, and he has me. And when you make mistakes, you will know this, nothing will take you out of his hand. Nothing. I don't care what you do. I don't care what mistakes you've made. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. So instead of running from God, like Adam did, like Peter did, like all these other people in the Bible did, which is funny because God still went after them, But we've been given a wonderful good news and promise that rather than running from God when we sin, he's made it possible that we can run to him. And he's not going to say, whoa, calm down, pause, time out, wait, you're, you're filthy, get right first. No. Especially when we realize that our filth is already on his son. Christ makes all things new. The good news is this. The old covenant said that only the Jews were God's chosen people. The new covenant in Christ's cross and blood proclaims that you are God's chosen people for Christ's sake. For by grace you have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you want to be chosen by God? Okay. On behalf of who Jesus is and what he has done for the forgiveness of your sins, you are chosen by God. Now, if you haven't been baptized, go be baptized immediately. It is a wonderful promise outside of ourselves that we can go back to. It is a gift of a good conscience to you. And the Bible speaks about baptism in terms like being buried with Christ. Now saves you for a good conscience to have. It is something that you can look back to and remember. A promise that was made to you by God, courtesy of Christ. For those of you who do not believe that Jesus died for you, and he does not offer you this gift of himself for you for the forgiveness of sins, so be it. For those of you who believe that what I have just said, that on account of Christ His dying on the cross for you and raising from the dead for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, reconciliation with God, counting you with the righteousness of Christ for you, so be it. May it be so. As the team comes forward, It was hard for me to grasp the and it's still hard. As soon as I there's times when I think I've gotten it all figured out in here. And then something happens that just kind of just reminds me that nope. <laughs> no, I don't. But I do know this. I do know the promises that God has made to me through his son Jesus Christ. There's some things that I read, I look at it and I go <laughs> that's either too good to be true or I'm not too sure what. It... And I sometimes I just pray and say things like, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I I am thankful that grasping this is independent of you grasping me. That's what I hold on to. That's what I, I hope in. Jesus, if you say that I've been crucified with you and all my sin is back in your tomb, so be it. Help provide me peace when the devil likes to bring up my old sins. Bring up my sins that happened five minutes ago. How can you get up there and run your mouth about him when you've done this and you've thought this and you think this? And I'm always reminded again, devil you forgot some you're not omniscient you don't know everything you're not in here that would make you omnipresent you're a created thing you can make some pretty good guesses you've been following man long enough you can kind of guess what I might be thinking when I'm in this situation you might be right a few times and not but see the only thing you've got devil is to accuse me of who I am outside of Christ. Now, I dare you, accuse me of who I am in Christ. Forgiven, free, declared righteous, covered by the blood of the Lamb. Keep it coming, because that just, that just provides me more comfort. if you're here this morning and maybe you're thinking, oh, I've blown it or I've done whatever or, or, or I'm, I'm never going to be right or I'm not good enough or all this other garbage. You're exactly who Jesus died for. Not one drop of God's wrath is left for you in Christ. He consumed it all on the cross. His blood, His sacrifice is sufficient for you. He's God the Son. And He died to have you. Who could snatch you out of His hand? No one. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. Amen. Now we're going to have a time for prayer. For those of y'all who need to leave, you're dismissed. Please leave quietly. But for those of you who do want to come forward for prayer, we're here to pray with you. Thank y'all so much for coming this week. And I just pray that through this week, and, and it will come, you'll have those moments of like we've been kind of talking about today, worry, despair. We can rest in peace because of what Christ did.
1: As Pastor Zach said, if you have a need or you have a Unanswered prayer, please come up. They're here to pray with you this morning uh, because the Lord is here. And you know, there's one thing that you can say that you can't say. Anyway, let me rephrase that. That you can't say is that you can never say you're not loved because God loves each and every one of us. The way we are, come as you are because God loves each and every one of us. So if we have a time of prayer at this moment, keep these needs up and stretch out your hand as we come and pray with these people here this morning thank you Jesus thank you Lord